that's how you build memories with the readers. That's how you build relationships with the readers. Because if a reader can say, oh, this character is just like me, it's in those ordinary moments where they realize that. Here we go. This is part two of how to find the soul of a character. Going in on superheroes, villains, and your supporting cast. Really getting down into some specifics here and really wanting to spend some time going in and discovering each classification of character. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't want to put all this in part one. So we thought it was best to split it up um, the the entire episode into part one and part two and kind of do it that way so we don't overwhelm the listeners. All right, so let's just like jump right back in. Um, Let's do it. Going over how to find the soul for your superheroes, right? Nice. Take it away, Ed. Take it away. All right, so. I'll piggyback after you. Go. The man of the hour himself. Oh, boy. Mr. Ed Williams. (laughs) So we're talking about superheroes. Now, you have to remember that this character had a life before all of this started. Right. And unless they were kind of born into it, like Hit Girl from the book Kick-Ass. Mm-hmm. So becoming a superhero gets adopted into their lifestyle already. Um, it can either change their life forever, add to it, subtract or sub, you know, or subtract something from it. Um, their their world was different before all of this happened, before the superpowers, before the costume, and things like that. Um, so whether it was a perfect life before tragedy, like Batman, or tragedy before before finding you know solace and, and peace, like Superman, mm-hmm. there was a life before all of this happened. Yeah, so you you have to consider these things like what what came before all this, and because mm-hmm. it just can't be oh this character just magically got these superpowers one day and nothing else happened before that, and now everything is about saving the world. Well, what? No, there there are situations and, and there's things that we go through through life, and something may happen to where the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But even when in those extraordinary moments, you're still having to kind of deal with life in general um again justice league and justice league unlimited was a great example of this you know because i mean to take dc characters superman batman wonder woman flash and kind of humanize them and show us that they have lives in between all of this saving the day type stuff was really monumental in creating some of the stories that they created yeah, I remember one of the stories too, um, where they took a different approach with uh, a love interest that occurred, which was between Bruce Wayne, you know, aka Batman, and Diana, you know, Wonder Woman. And at first, I was kind of like, "What?" But then, you know, they really built the humanism behind it, and I really was really fascinating how these two individuals would have this liking to each other, this mutual respect and also this compassion towards each other. Because Mm -hmm. usually you always have Wonder Woman paired up with Superman because, you know, they're kind of counterpowers, you know, to each other based on their strength and their abilities. And however... You know, here you have, you know, Batman, you know, with his charm and everything, who has no abilities whatsoever, pretty much sleeps uh, Diana off her feet in a sense and kind of really gets uh, her attention. And it's just a different spin on that. The same way for Jon Stewart and the amazing love triangle drama that happened between uh, Cheyenne, you know, hot girl, and also Vixen, who's one of your favorite characters. That's my girl. <laughs> Marie McCabe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just always remember that even though they're superheroes, they do have a life outside of this. You won't be able to get the longevity just telling hero versus villain stories. We like variation. We like um, specks of the ordinary in between our extraordinary. And to kind of always be playing up the extraordinary, I think that's where you kind of get the disconnect 
between the characters and the readers. I, not to knock DC because I love DC, I absolutely do. But their characters are always so extraordinary that it's hard to relate to them in the comic books. I've had a lot of people always ask me, well, why do you like DC? Because I, I, Marvel does a better job at connecting their stories and their characters to kind of somewhat of our reality and making their, their stories more uh, palatable. But right. DC has really that gods among men, great pantheon sort of ordeal going on. All yeah, the they time. got the Greek god mentality. Going right, on. right. So it's a little harder to kind of digest and 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 relate to what they're going through because we don't always get those moments where they're not so up there. Um, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's one of the, like the biggest takeaways for your superhero characters is to make sure that you include that life. Make sure that you show them in those moments of the ordinary. And that's kind of where we are able to see you flesh out the character. It's in those ordinary moments where we, where we learn where this character come from, comes from, what they like, what they don't like, their core beliefs, their values, and, and things like that. In the extraordinary, we see them in their might, uh, their powers on display and things like that. But in that sense, we don't get the ordinary because they have to be extraordinary in those moments. So you have to have that ba- that balance, that rhythm between those two uh, elements to kind of really give us the full breath of the character. Yeah, I agree. Man, you hit that out of the ballpark, my friend. Did I? I thought I... <laughs> I just talk, you know? This is just, you know, what I know um, to be true. At least how I apply it to my comic, Arclight. Um, yeah. Because if everything is so extraordinary... I mean, I actually get excited for the ordinary moments because that's where I get to show the characters how they really are outside of them, that, that superhero persona. Right. And that's where I really want to engage the readers in those in those ordinary moments. You know, don't ever think that the ordinary moments are boring moments. That's a chance for you to grow that character out, to explore some things. You know, I always remember <laughs> during Extreme X-Men uh, when Storm and Jean went on that little shopping trip as best friends. And it was the simplest thing, but that's one of the highlights that I can remember in my comic book reading history just to see those two interact in an ordinary moment outside of Storm, outside of being the Phoenix, um, just being Aurora and Jean and sharing a couple moments. You know, they were, I guess Jean was trying to get Aurora hooked up with some guy. It was just, it was just a great thing to see. It kind of like remind you that these characters are kind of like, like us, you know? Yeah. It made them human. Right. In a sense. Exactly. That's all those words I said, and you just summed it up in one word. <laughs> but that's exactly it. It made them human. And that's what you want to do. Make your superheroes human. Don't always keep, don't put them up there in that Greek pantheon Bring them down with the rest of us from time to time and let us. That, that, that's how you build memories with the readers. That's how you build relationships with the readers. Because if a reader can say, oh, this character is just like me. It's in those ordinary moments where they realize that. Mm-hmm. So when I think about this, I'm going to take it a little bit basic. Because sometimes I'm very basic in how I think as well as solution focused. So when I think about. You know, how to find the soul to the superheroes. Your character needs to find, get this, the why to the reason they become a hero heroine, okay? There you go. Connected it all up. Yes. <laughs> Connection, association with episode one right there. That, <laughs> yes. I knew you would be proud of that. <laughs> I am proud. So it's about finding that moment or shift in the character's thought process that unlocks their motivation so that they're able to become that hero and heroine. So every character in comics has a reason for why they choose to be a hero or a heroine. They need to be able to find that why in their own individual path mm-hmm. in their heroic journey. Because as we talked about, each of these characters, whether it's your primary character, you know, who's your point of view character for the audience, whether it's the villain supporting cast, 
uh, different people are interacting, you need to write these individuals as if they're on their own path in life Mm -hmm. because that is so important and it's so real. Right, because that's how we are anyway. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be life experiences that shape the character into the hero grow. And when I think about this, again, basic, a situation or event that takes place in the character's life, uh, a thought shift that they might have had, an emotional shift, inspiration by another hero or their supporting cast, stating something to them that's very crucial to them, which motivates the heroics in them. Mm-hmm. And also, these are just basic concepts that, you know, I just threw together in my head. Those are just some things that can actually throw your character, as Ed was pointing out, into the ability that they can be humanized and be real characters. And that's where we get to... Re- as the reader, especially myself when I'm a fan, really can relate to characters. I remember uh, really being introduced to uh, Spider-Man, and I think about the animation show and how amazing it was, and I really connected with that cartoon, and I felt that Peter Parker was an older version of a person that I could relate to. He was very inverted. He... Demonstrate different characteristics, and yet, you know, he takes on this whole other persona when he's Spider Man. It's almost like he puts on the spandex and he's just a completely different person. He has the self confidence, he is uh, bigger than life, he's a, you know, the wise character, and it's completely different than who Peter Parker is. Right. And I always thought that was so amazing when I watched that show. I, I really saw the difference between Spider Man as the character, as well as Peter Parker as the character, and how both of those two, in their own existence, had to be intertwined into the overall soul of one character. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man's great for, we'll get into a little bit of the supporting cast later, Spider-Man's a great example of having excellent supporting cast members that actually help him develop and grow and learn to become basically the hero that he's well known for in comics you know uh jameson yes he is an iconic mainstay for for Mm spider-man his movie depiction was iconic it was so perfect and so entertaining i jameson really adds to the mythos of spider-man and, you know, mm-hmm. we'll get into that when we get to supporting characters, but it, that just goes to show just because they're a supporting character doesn't mean they're a throwaway character. They right. have purpose if you give them purpose. They have a mm-hmm. soul if you give them a soul. But we'll get to that momentarily. <laughs> so just want to kind of, while we were talking about Spider-Man and his supporting cast, just kind of bring it in there. So next one. So how to find the soul of the villains. Oh, I love this. I get so excited. I love villains so much. <laughs> I actually this the the villain I've always been a superhero fan never really cared about villains that much but as I got older and as I kind of matured in my thinking your hero is only as great as his or her villain mm-hmm. the Joker Lex Luthor right Korra and all her villains mm-hmm. I think Magneto, Magneto from the X-Men yes Loki, surprisingly, mm-hmm. nobody thought Loki would be a huge hit, but Loki is one of everybody's kind of favorite vill- villains from Marvel. Um, so this is actually going to be a really interesting breakdown as we go through it. So I'll actually let you go ahead. You can take it away. Kind of explain how you find the soul of your villain. All right. So a question that comes to my mind is, is finding the soul just as important as it is to the villain as finding it for the hero? A quick you know, answer for that is, yes, it is. And here's why. When I look at the relationship between the protagonist and the antagonist, and when we're talking about the protagonist, this is an individual that's pushing forward in their journey, okay? It can be the hero. It can be the heroine. It could be potential the villain. It could be any type of character that's pushing forward. Your antagonist is the complete opposite. That is the person that's going to be completely challenging that person, almost acting as the wall to try to push that person so they can't get over. Kind of think of like the Great Wall of China. You know, they're going to be there. 
and they're going to try to throw every obstacle in their way possible to make sure whoever that type of individual character is, that their path is going to be stopped. Mm -hmm. So I recall in the Chinese philosophy, the yin and yang, where we have the two different ideas of the opposites. It describes apparently the opposite and contrast forces are actually complementary, right? They're interconnected. They're interdependent in the natural world and how they give rise to each other as they interrelate to one another. Mm. And again, this really applies to the protagonist and antagonist. They really have to exist. They are the yin and the yang. One cannot function without the other. And that is stories for superheroes as well as villains. You have your hero, you have to have your villain. That's just that's just the basics of it. So the hero or heroine needs the villain to live as much as the villain needs to challenge the hero. Each exists as the sole purpose to push each other. Let me rephrase that one more time. Each exists as the sole purpose to push each other. And that's so important. Mm-hmm. And when I think about this, I think about the Dark Knight, and Chris Nolan's did a phenomenal job with this sequel. And one of my favorite quotes uh, from this movie is when the Joker states about his relationship to Batman. And it's just, every time I hear it, I get goosebumps because I think that Nolan just hit on its nail of who the Joker was and how he was the antagonist to the protagonist of Batman. So the quote itself is, you just couldn't let me go, could you? This is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. You truly are incorruptible, aren't you? You won't kill me out of some misplaced sense of self-righteousness, and I won't kill you because you're too much fun. I think you and I are destined to do this forever. Hmm. Ah, I just, I even reading that just kind of gives me a goosebumps because that's just, it hits it on its nail. It does. What do you think, Ed? It, it's, I think you hit the nail on the head with the yin and the yang. I mean, that really is the essence of, I don't even want to say the genre, but hero versus villain in any type of fiction in general, any type of genre. Mm-hmm. But this one specifically, superhero genre is built on that contrasting relationship between the hero and the villain. The, the the hero mirrors the villain and vice versa. Uh, Batman and the Joker are both crazy. They're just a different type of crazy. <laughs> right. Uh, Lex Luthor and Superman are both powerful, just a different type of powerful. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to look at those things. Just find the yin and the yang and see what you can come up with. I think that quote just really brought it home, especially that last part. I think you and I are destined to do this forever because they have been doing it forever. <laughs> Batman and the Joker are an iconic hero versus villain duo. Um, point blank and period. I think that's one of the most uh, top three memorable heroes and villains in pop culture right now. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that just goes to say that villains have motives too, you know? Investing all of your resources in creating a soulful hero won't be that well spent if you aren't invested in a phenomenal villain as well. You just can't dump everything into a hero and just kind of save the villain for last. The whole, I want to take over the world, I want to destroy the world, I'm going to rob a bank. That thing went out with the Super Friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> that just... that just Which is still a classic, by right, the way. Right, still a classic. In its own way. Yeah. The, the motive has to be stronger. It has to be something that is worth reading through you just can't treat your villain as a, as a throwaway you know um something happened to that person that informed their decision to go down that road and looking at magneto for example i love magneto he's probably by far my favorite X- x-men villain as well as marvel villain because he's just the complexity to him is phenomenal marvel's best villain hands down but, uh, you know, his, his upbringing informed his decision that humankind was evil towards anybody that was different. You know, he was, he, he's Jewish, for those who don't know, Magneto is, is Jewish, and he was raised, uh, he was a, a boy during the time of the Holocaust, and he mm-hmm. saw how evil humans can be to those who are different. And now right. he's also a mutant. And people and humans hate him for being a mutant too. So it's like double trouble right there, you know, yep. stacking it up. So his why for doing what he does is supported through the things that he's experienced in his life, you know. And um, his power is so magnificent, as is his desire to see 
his people win. I guess, you know, the, the war that's right. being waged between mutants and humans. Mm-hmm. His power matches his vision. His power is almost like a physical manifestation of how strong his vision and, and perspective on his ideologies are, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. No, it does. So, you know, Mag- Mag- Magneto is one of the best examples we can give. And I really think going into The Last Airbender, um, The Last Airbender and Korra, um, Ozai, I mm. really didn't think Ozai was that compelling of a main villain. I thought, what was uh, the girl's name? His daughter. Azula? Azula. Azula. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> I thought Azula was more compelling. Yes, bro. She was a psycho yeah, chick with was. the electricity going on. <laughs> You're like, really? She's pretty deadly enough because mm-hmm. of her psychosis that she has. Right. And then you add firebending on top of that. And not just firebending. She has to take it to a whole nother le- level of her freaking lightning. Right. 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 Which makes her deadly. Right. She was, um, she was definitely way more compelling than Ozai. But if you look at Korra's villains... And how well constructed their motives were right. for doing what they did. You had Iman, and he was all about equality. And mm-hmm. his ideology is compared to communism. And you right. had Unalak, who was all about faith, and his ideology was all about theocracy. You had Zahir, chaos, all about chaos, and he was about anarchy. Established, right. you know, to establish order, we need chaos. And he really challenged and pushed Korra to her limit. Even in the next season, season four, Korra was still pretty messed up because of mm-hmm. Zahir. She was suffering from PTSD, right. which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Right, For those right. that don't know. Right. So it kind of, it, it gave us a different side of Korra we've never seen before. This, right. This weakened, disabled Korra who we really wanted, you, we were able to kind of support her in her well-being, like trying to, you know, wanting to see her get better. And when she finally did, it was such a a, a raw moment of, of, of power and, and kind of cheering her on in that moment. And mm-hmm. even Kuvera, um, she was all aware. Zahir was about chaos. Kuvera was about order, strict yeah. order. And her ideology was compared to fascism. You know, and just to see how that just goes back to the theme what we talked about earlier, those right. themes in the characters, you can put themes in, in, in whatnot in your villains and have your villains just be as strong and compelling as the hero. Mm-hmm. You don't have to brush them off to the side. You don't don't treat it like I have a superhero. Now I have to have a supervillain. Right. You know, don't just treat it like that. You have to give your time and your resources and as much creative energy to your villain as you do your your, your superheroes. You know, Ed brought up some good points about the Legend of Korra, and I totally agree. It's one of my favorite animations, and gosh, they did such a great job with their villains. And, I, you know, just the themes that they were playing out, as Ed was mentioning, you know, the political themes, they use these political ideologies as characteristics for their villain soul. Each antagonist for seasons one, two, three, and four, right? They had their own desire, idea, and dream for their world. And that's what made them very complex, right? Mm -hmm. And a single vision that was able to challenge Korra to her character and actually forced her to really grow up from, you know, from season one where we kind of saw her as like this annoying, whiny teenager and she felt this empowerment to a very powerful woman that was able to come to her own and actually when you see her from season one to season two it's just blown away that they're completely different and that was just that was the end result that they were doing that was so well and when i'm breaking down this as well ed went into you know the political themes you know i think about the just the basics of it you know in season one You know, that arc was really playing on equality was the drive, right? And it was the motivation for the equalist leader, Amon, you know, who believed, as Ed was pointing out, communism. And then in season two, we're giving the emphasis on spirituality and the belief in theocracy. 
In season three, the focus was shifted on a political f- uh, freedom through anarchy and chaos and the dissolvement of corrupt governments of power. I mean, we can relate to that. You know, mm-hmm. we get, you know, different people in our own system in America. It's probably, I'm sure, different people in their own nations as well that you have these freedom fighters in a sense. You have people that buck the system that are very anti-government and, and they just want to see justice being brought. And then lastly, in season four, we see unity used as the motivation to unite a great nation, right, under one universal government and bander, which is so awesome because that really paralleled to Nazi Germany and what that was, uh, hmm. what Hitler's master plan was. I never thought about that. Wow. And that's the great thing. I love the history connections, which is so amazing. Mm-hmm. So when I think about Hitler, who is, I consider one of our most interesting um, political leaders that have ever existed. And what I mean by this, because I'm not giving the guy praise, the guy was an evil man. But what made him so unique and so original in his own way was his drive and his theology in the sense of how he was able to get into power. And when you look at it through history, this man did not select himself again. This guy was able to get himself to have the people vote him into office, in a sense, convincing them through his, you know, his charismatic personality, his words, and he just was bringing this energy that he convinced people to follow him. And... That's what made him such a a huge political leader that challenged the word was, you know, it wasn't just some emperor who just happened to be born into this or it wasn't a political, you know, kingdom that was already. This was a guy who was elected into office by the people because they believe in him so much and then reinforced his theology, Mm -hmm. which made him so powerful. And when I think about, you know, going back to the legend of Korah, each of these political themes of thoughts were used to engrave the antagonist's souls, okay? The concepts of equality, spirituality, freedom, union, are what many of our societies and individuals of ourselves really strive for. However, when these ideas are hyperbone, right, they're hyper-focused to the extreme thinking, it becomes corrupt. And Mm -hmm. we see that um, what's going on in our world and stuff. We see extreme Christians, we see... Um, extreme people who mass themselves in Islam. We see extreme uh, freedom fighters, in a sense, in Asia. We see all this type of stuff. And that's what the hyperbone that I was talking about. And that's what made the Legend of Korra antagonist organic and originally unique was because the creators found the soul essence to their villains. Mm-hmm. They really understood them. Where you felt for them, I felt for Eamon. I, I really, when his story was revealed and you saw what his backstory was. I was rooting for the guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going back to what Ed said with Magneo, I love Magneo so much because you know why? If I was a mutant, I would be so compelled, so compelled by this guy. So compelled to him. Right. Because here was a guy who's leading by action where Professor Xavier is wheelchair bound is very like passive peace and love. Right. He's Martin Luther King Jr. Right. And now we have you know, McNeil, who's like Malcolm X, who's leading from the front lines and sat in there saying, you know what, I'm not going to be, you know, the mastermind behind the gate. I'm going to lead through force. I'm going to lead through example. And I'm basically going to use my past experience, which was what I was talking about before in the situation that events and people and what certain ideas come up mm-hmm. that push people forward. And that's what pushed McNeil forward. And that's what makes him so complex is he is able to switch sides back and forth. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even consider him a villain. I would consider him almost like an anti-villain in a sense or an anti-hero, and he actually bounces between those two because it's whatever suits his theology in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've seen the X-Men, different members of X-Men, bounce back and forth between Xavier and Eric is because you know, they, they're both fine for the same thing, right? but just have completely different philosophies in how they do that. Mm-hmm. And before I switch it back to Ed, you know, one of the greatest quotes that I love um, that really will sum this up for the villains on my part is when you're thinking about uh, this quote, I want you to listen to these words, okay? For character development of finding the soul for the villains, okay? Listen up. Nobody is a villain in their own story, okay? We're all heroes in our own stories. And this was well told by George R.R. R. Martin. And you might know him from his HBO series, his wonderful books as well. He's the creator and writer of Game of Thrones. 
And this guy is a genius in a sense. He makes you, oh, so pissed off. He makes you love his character so much to the point that he will kill them just to piss you off. And then he'll take the villain, like Jamie Lannister, a complete, you know, jerk that you want to see executed and completely humanize him to the point that later on the season you're voting for it and you're like, wait a second, I totally forgot everything that he did in season one. Right. Because now I kind of understand the complexity of him. Right. And now I'm rooting for the guy. Right. The guy lost his arms and I want to root for him. You're like, wait a second, what am I doing? I'm rooting for the, <laughs> the bad guy in this. Why am I liking him? Right. But that's ingenious. You know, that's what he said. Nobody's a villain in their own story, right? Because it's their own perspective of how they see things. We're mm. all, when you have your villain driven by heroism in a sense and they believe solely in their purpose and they think that they're the hero that's what adds the layers that's what takes what we've been talking about with the metaphor of the glacier that adds on the layers of complexity to that villain right and unlocking that villain soul as what ed was saying where we love you know lukey in a sense we love magneto we love you know Spider-Man's villains like Dr. Ock, you know, you can relate to them. You understand why they do that, and that's what makes them so amazing. Even the Joker I sympathize with. You know, hell, I even dressed up as the guy for uh, Halloween. And when I was getting in the mindset and rolling, I was with my patients, and I was doing the Joker voice, and I was trying to think like him and joking around. I understood the character. Mm -hmm. I understood the fun aspect of being complete anarchy and saying what I wanted to say and just bring laughter in a completely sarcastic way. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. And sometimes, you know, what I think it's in our ebook, I believe, if I recall, sometimes the villain has more fun than the hero themselves because right. the hero's living by these ideologies that they live, live, from, live by, where the villain can sit there and do whatever that they want. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that goes to show, as we've gone over Magneto and, and Korra's villains, that doing your due diligence and researching brings about characters like this. Right. Because like you pointed out, Kuvera, I would have never made that connection that she was like Hitler. But when you kept going over, I kept drawing the similarities similarities mm-hmm. between Kuvera and Hitler. Right. She was that person who nobody elected, but she assumed the position and she got people on board and she talked mm-hmm. right and she acted right and she empowered. She did what she had to do. Right, she empowered. And she was even introduced in season three. You saw like even a foreshadow was yeah. coming and uh-huh. you were voting for her and you're like, hey, this is a cool new character. Boom, she comes becomes the villain in right. season four. Right, she empowered her people and, and she gave them something to be prideful about. That's that comes through research, that comes through studying, that comes through getting out of your own mindset that you think you know what you're doing and you know everything, and going and obtaining new information. There's nothing wrong with getting a book on all this stuff, you know, communism and, and, and anarchy, and reading through and, and seeing how much you can pull together for your own characters and things like that. I, I get more excited about talking about villains than I do the superheroes because there's there's so much stuff to play with you know right. so many things I mean if you look at the history of the world so many evils have been carried out so many acts of inhumanity have been carried out as well so many atrocities so many tragedies mm-hmm. you can go through history and just have a heyday picking out actual people responsible for these things studying them and creating a fictional version of these people to create the villain for your superheroes in your comics. That's true. You know, what Ed said was so crucial is it's the research aspect. Do research in people. We have serial killers that are well known in the United States. Uh, Even do uh, research into uh, you know, I think it was Henry V, different people throughout history that were viewed as kind of villains in their sense, mm-hmm. but really get to understand the complexity with it. You know, another challenge I can think of someone else is write a villain as if you were telling their story as the hero. Mm-hmm. That's important. Build that soul. Make that 
villain be so convinced that what they believe in and what their cause is is so justified in their actions that at the end of the day, they don't know what they're doing. And I think that's what was so great about Daredevil, which, oh my gosh, they did such a phenomenal job for a Netflix series. And I'm going to bust Ed because he's only on episode four. Shame on this guy. I know. Episode he sits there and says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wow, sorry, we jumped guys. up one. I'm oh, sorry. man. That I, makes I just, an improvement. I just can't find the time. I love the Daredevil series. I just don't have the time just to sit down and watch Netflix. I have so many things I have. You know, I have the the graphic design business, and I also have ArcLight. So between mm-hmm. those two things, I just I just can't because Daredevil requires your full attention to catch it does. everything. So I I don't I've tried watching it in the background while I work. It just doesn't work. So one of these weekends, I'll, when I just have reserve it as a chill weekend. I'm giving him homework. Don't worry, right. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm giving this guy homework. But I, I absolutely love the complexities of Daredevil and everything that I've seen so far. Everything is masterfully done. It is leagues better than anything that movie could have been. And I think this is the right medium for Daredevil because I don't right. think trying to tell all this in a two-hour time frame wasn't Mm-mm. good for the character. Having, I mean, they, Marvel Marvel is smart. They, they did a smart move here uh, with the Netflix and putting their characters on certain characters on Netflix. I think Black Widow and Hawkeye kind of need to make their way to Netflix as well. But that's a, another topic for another day. But go ahead. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. You know, I was just bringing that back to Kingpin was when you get into the later episodes and you kind of see where his background was, you kind of understand the psychology aspect to him and why he does what he does. When his dad was beating his mom? Yeah, you that empathize. Was a, a you episode. empathize with the guy. You right. kind of understand that, mm-hmm. and that's why I said, you know, create your villains with the sole aspect that they are the heroes in in their story. And when you do that, you add so much layer to them. You give them so much originality. And sometimes they might transcend. Maybe they become the hero. That might be a slip. We saw that in, you know, in The Last Airbender, you know, where we saw Zuku. Zuku was apparently supposed to be the villain, but yet became my favorite character in the whole series over Aang, over Toph, because his individual journey from being the villain to the hero, or I should say the anti-hero, was so intriguing to me. This was a guy that was solely tasked taking out Aang the Avatar to the point where he questioned his morals, he questioned his father, he questioned his nation, he questioned everything that he knew. Right. And in that process, he transformed himself into becoming a, an embodiment of enlightenment into this anti-hero where he became Aang's, you know, friend in a sense. And we got to see him in Legend of Korra where, you know, his daughter became the new empress in a mm-hmm. sense. And his son was General Iroh and he led the armies. And of course, Zuko come in, come, comes in like a badass with a freaking dragon. And you know, like, I sat there and I was so happy to see him at his own form because the guy was able to achieve what he wanted to achieve. He actually was able to free the Fire Nation from the corruption of his father and actually bring order to it. And I would have loved to see in future episodes and if Legend of Korra gets another retake where we get another Avatar in the future, I look forward to seeing how the Fire Nation uh, has completely changed in a sense and really seeing how they became kind of like an isolated um, area where they kind of viewed uh, General Iroh and them kind of as the peacekeepers in a sense. They had the military background but they would only go into war when they felt like they needed to because you know what? They learned from their mistakes. And I think about Germany in a sense, you know? Germany is very well-developed as a country right now. You know why? Because they learned their hard way after having a dictatorship underneath the Nazi regime. They had to rebuild themselves. The German people had to work harder because they were tainted by this and shadowed by this legacy of corruption. And that's a fascinating story, you know? Right. Definitely. So bottom line is give as much time and resource to your villains as your heroes because you're 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 when we look at the bigger picture here, I'm looking at, at Cora specifically, again, I mean we're we're gonna use her 
every time we talk about villains in this podcast because <laughs> it's such a good example. But yep. Cora only grew because of her villains. Every single season she was challenged. Season three, Cora got it the heaviest with Zahir. He messed her up. He did things other airbenders. I mean, he was the most one of the most compelling villains on Korra. Mm-hmm. But because of him, we got season four. I mean, there's 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 levels to this, you know. Season two Korra came out because of season one Korra. You know, the, the season one villain, Amon. Unalak got us to season three Korra. Zahir got it. So your the, the villains help change the hero. They help add to the hero's story. They um they challenge them. Right. We like we like to see the hero challenge. We like to see how they're going to get out of certain situations. Honestly, I didn't know how Korra was going to be able to beat Zahir and overcome that PTSD that she had because she had that thing bad. She had it bad. But the lesson here is that she had strong villains to help the creators tell her story. Right. Without those strong villains, I don't know... I, for, to me, Korra's villain saved seasons one and two for me. I had a, a bit of a, a, a struggle getting through seasons one and two. Season three, three, seasons three and four was a little better, but her villains carried the show for those first two seasons for me. So don't just shrug off villains like they're, you know, oh, well, let me hurry and put one in here. No, don't do that. Give them as much time and resources as possible. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and I guess we can go ahead and segue or transition into this last part on finding the soul for your support characters. Um, that we talked about earlier, your support characters give flavor, meaning, and purpose to your main characters' lives. Support characters let your audience into what goes on behind the scenes when that mask is off. Right. So you have Superman, you have Jimmy Olsen, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have Batman, Alfred. Alfred is iconic. Everybody knows Alfred Pennyworth. <laughs> Alfred keeps the man that is Bruce Wayne together. He's the soul of the Bat family, I would say. Right. He is. When 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 Martha and Wayne passed on, Alfred was the one to take over. Alfred contributed to the raising and upbringing of Bruce. Mm -hmm. Alfred keeps Bruce together. He keeps him Mm -hmm. mentally in check, emotionally in check. He makes sure his physical state is in check. I mean, Alfred is the backbone to Bruce Wayne, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And he challenges him too. He does challenge him. He really does. So, as I always say with Arclight, every character is has the potential be, to be an alias character. It doesn't matter if they're a hero, villain, or supporting character. You know, Jimmy Olsen, who knew the redheaded photographer, would be a, such a mainstay to Superman's mythos right. and his history. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to, again, with the villains, give as much. Time, time and resources to the supporting characters because they allow your character to function in those ordinary moments. Right. Without the supporting cast, you're just kind of me. The characters just kind of meandering around life. But what goes on in the background? Who is there to support them when they need it? Who's there to kind of allow us to see what goes on in their ordinary lives? Because how else are you going to tell those stories? Um, without your you know support characters, so I, what do you think on you know support characters and in, in, in their purpose? I can't believe you brought up Alfred. I was going for Alfred, but it's okay. <laughs> I have another one of mine too. I'll expand. So when I'm thinking about supporting characters. You know, I really agree with Ed on what he said. You know, treat them as if they're their own A-list characters. Well said. You know, when I'm thinking about supporting characters, I'm thinking about these characters as the challengers, right? They're going to give a different perspective to the character's own perspective in their own story, Hmm. okay? These characters are going to help mold and shape the primary character in their story. And what I mean by this is when I look at, you know, Alfred. Alfred is a father figure. He's a grandfather figure to the different Robins. Mm -hmm. He 
is the medical aid. He is um, their support emotionally. He assembles the team. He's always watching out for everybody. He is just such a one-of-a-kind character. And it amazes me in one of the comics I read where, you know, Alfred always goes behind Bruce's back. He will sit there and challenge Bruce when Bruce sits there and has his egotistic moment. He's like telling one of the Robins to say, Alfred is kind of like the antagonist in a sense. (laughs) And he's like, you know what? I'm going to sit there and let one of the Robins become Robin. And I'm going to push him because I see the potential. And he did that so well with Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. You know, he really pushed him to be his own. And that's what made Alfred such a great character. And, and another, you know, great supporting cast uh, member in the Bat family is Jim Gordon, in a sense. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Gotham and where, you know, they're at. You know, they base the whole premise of their show around Jim Gordon. Right. And I believe that. No one, Chris Nolan did such a great job at portraying uh, Jim Gordon and their stories where he added the complexity to that character. And when I think about Jim Gordon, I really think of him as the old school detective that's doing what he has to do in the corrupt police system. He has the morals, but he's going to challenge that. He's going to blend a little bit with it, but he is the moral compass to Gotham City. Mm-hmm. He's the one that has the uneasy relationship with uh, Bruce Wayne as Batman, and he's the one that's kind of always been there for for Bruce as you know, as his friend and as kind of a mentor to him. And it's just amazing. Um, when I think about one of the great stories from Jim Gordon was in Batman Year One. Uh, the comic book was phenomenal as well as the movie. You got to see a different side to Jim Gordon where, you know, they showed the brokenness of his marriage. He had an affair. You saw a very vulnerable uh, police officer, you know, slash detective show his flaws in a sense of being solely engulfed by the corruption of Gotham where he lost himself. And then by the end of the story, you kind of see him as the hero uh, overcoming the obstacle, which mm-hmm. was, you know, Gotham City itself as the protagonist to him. And, you know, the protagonist, as we say, could be a character, but it can also be later on when we talk about stories, the protagonist can also be, the, you know, the city. It can also be kind of a life decision. It can be anything that pushes or blocks whoever your character is. Right. And, you know, another great supporting cast, you talked about Jimmy Olsen. I've always loved Gwen Stacy. Oh, yeah, Gwen, Gwen Stacy was such a such an amazing character. Here was Pierre Parker's opportunity to sit there as the introverted nerd having this crush on the popular girl who is a beautifully blonde girl with blue or green eyes, depending on how she's predicted in that uh, artist's, you know, coloring style. Here she was that gave tension to Peter Parker. And she really cared for him. She never used him. She was never out because he was Spider-Man. She liked Peter for who Peter was. And when Peter Parker was able to be vulnerable with her to the point where it was beautifully told where we were giving, you know, a scene in the comics and, you know, the movies tried to predict this, but the, the comics were just so much on par. They just amped it. And I remember reading it for the first time and really seeing the Green Goblin really force, who is another amazing um, villain in a sense that really challenges Spider-Man, mm-hmm. give Peter Parker a, an opportunity of a choice that would completely compel that character. And that was the death of Gwen Stacy. Until this day, there's still huge debates into did the Green Goblin kill her before she fall? Or did Peter Parker try to save her and in the process of doing that snapped her neck? Hmm. Oh my gosh. And if I think about the layer, that is just so oh my gosh. That completely compelled to think that the hero itself Pierre Parker, his love interest, he tried so hard to save her that he could possibly be responsible for her death mm-hmm. and he was not good enough. Mm-hmm. That's just profound and it completely launched him into a very dark version of Pierre Parker where we saw the trust issues come out, where we saw him more guarded with Mary Jane. And 
her character completely launched him within his comics as much as the villains did with the show uh, Legends of Korra. Mm-hmm. Very well said with with Gwen and um, Alfred. I, I think there's just something to be said about the supporting characters. I mean, they really make up the the family that's behind the superhero. You know, it's very they're they're very important too. Just just don't shrug those off either. Uh, I one of the the best examples I can give right now from our days in the Peacekeepers was Miss Tips. Miss Tips was a supporting character. Miss Tips was our oracle, um, our Alfred. Uh, she she was the operations manager for the Peacekeepers supergroup. Right. And we had heroes in there that could lift buildings, tremor. We had heroes that, you know, did dark arts and, and the magic and things like that. Mm-hmm. But no matter what, that hero could do, everybody feared Miss Tips. She was strict. She kept a tight schedule. She was for no nonsense. I mean, she was a character, a supporting character, but she held her weight in the mythos of what we were creating back then. Right. And she really, I mean, she was great for story material. I'm bringing her back into the comic, um, but... Good, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, she'll, she'll be making her way back um, into the comic. She was, uh, she served as Tremor's uh, love interest back then. Um, and so, I mean, she had a whole lot of functionality as a support character, you know? Um, other people felt compelled to want to use her in their stories because it gave their story some depth and some layering um, by using her character. So, Never, ever, ever underestimate the power of a support character. You don't know where they're going to end up or how important they're going to be to that character and how much of an impact they'll make on the hero's history. Yeah, it's true. You know, when I think about Lighthouse Comics, too, and what we're we're doing with our supporting cast uh, member is a character we uh, call Dr. Harper Brooks. And she's going to be our point of view character and... She's going to really push our team in a sense, and she's going to be a very intertwined uh, character where she kind of webs all of our characters together. She is the founder, and you'll find out in later issues how she plays a specific role in our universe and how it actually ties back to the past as well. And what made her such a unique character, as you know, Ed was talking about Miss Tips and his uh, universe, was having someone that is kind of like the cheerleader, kind of having someone that's going to help motivate and challenge the character or the characters in the sense mm-hmm. of your story. And that's going to, that's what's finding the soul to the supporting character is really developing and freshing out these characters. Another character that I'm thinking about that is very uh, unique with the supporting uh, role as a cast member in the show is from Arrow. And I'm sure you you all know who I'm talking about, Felicity Smoke. And what's so amazing about her is she appeared in the comics and and she was never a supporting cast to Oliver Queen. And he was ne- she was never part of his mythos. And now she's become a breakout character where she's completely reshaping, you know, Green Arrow as well as Oliver and his own story. And I think that's so well done. And you kind of can think of another supporting cast member, you know, of Barbara Gordon and how she was completely uh, disabled by the Joker. And instead of, you know, putting her on the sidelines, you know, DC did a great job uh, back in the day where they turned her into the all-knowing Oracle. And they really dived deep into another complexity of Barbara Gordon where we got to see a, a different side to her where she was able, even with her disability, she was able to outsmart people with her, you know, technologically advanced knowledge. And she became po- kind of like the informational broker where she networked all the different uh, heroes together kind of in the dark web. And she kind of was there for everybody in a sense, kind of this all knowing, seeing, uh, omnipresent God that was looking out for you in a Mm -hmm. sense. And that was a beautifully well done. And that's where we get at. Like even your supporting cast can even be a dog or it can be a 
you know, a cat, you know, as long as it, it compels your character to challenge their own perspective and help them to develop themselves in their own individual journey, then you know what? That is a supporting cast member. Mm-hmm. Um, a city can be a, um, a supporting cast member, a house, uh, a phrase, a catchphrase, maybe a book. G- get inventive. This is your story. These are your characters. There is no written laws as to how to properly make comics. Right. At the end of the day, it's what you want to tell is your characters. If you want to push them to the extreme, push them to the extreme. Right. Put things on a different spin. Push yourself. Uh, you know, just do it. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Do the Nike brand. Just right. do it. <laughs> do it. Just do it and keep believing that you can do it. Right. Always keep believing. Always have the faith that you can push through all this because this isn't easy no it's not at all you, this is going to take some time especially if you have a bigger cast of characters if you're not just working with one hero one villain if you have multiple heroes and multiple villains this is going to take time to develop each one of those especially if you're doing it on your on your own i was blessed and fortunate enough to have a team for the past four years coming up on five i no longer have a team but the support of that team and all those ideas coming at you all the time, we were able to develop characters together. And now, you know, that I'm on my own, thankfully I had that, they got me to 85%. I got to finish out the rest of that, you know, on my own. And um, so, yeah, just take your time and don't rush the process. Respect the process, Mm -hmm. respect the journey, appreciate the journey appreciate the fact that you're in the trenches right now. I'm appreciating the fact document your journey because when you finally get to that point to where you've finished the comic and you're on the comic con circuit and you're being, you know, invited to guest speak at places, you're going to want to remember what it took, where you came from and what it took to get up, you know, to get to this point. Um, So don't, think you need to rush it. Don't think you need to put everything together in a couple of months because it won't come that way. Take your time. Let these characters, I always say, let the characters tell you their story. Right. Don't force a story on them. They will tell you if you give them the time to let them tell you it. You know, mm-hmm. there's no it's allowing. To, it's allowing them to grow. Grow organically, naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you have to listen. You kind of have to Take a step back and let things just happen on their own. Don't force anything. Don't try to shove anything down their throats. They will tell you. I know it sounds awkward and strange, but it actually works. Because when you just take the time and kind of forget everything that you want to do with the character and forget, unattach yourself from the things that you want to do and let them develop in your subconscious, I guess you can say. Um, That's when they kind of grow organically because there were some things I wanted to do with Bolt differently and with Tremor differently and Braxton, but it didn't happen like that. And it didn't happen like that because they weren't the right way to go with those characters. They just, they, it, it was, you can tell things were forced. You can tell things and it just didn't make sense for mm-hmm. those characters. So it took a period of letting go and just kind of letting them, like I, like I said, tell me their story. And over time, piece by piece, day by day, it'll come together. Right. And I'll end this before we officially sign off for episode three, part two. I want to say this. Facebook is a great opportunity for uh, upcoming writers, artists, as well as creators to find uh, networks in. There's tons of different uh, pages where you can get feedback on characters. Um, You can reach out to us uh, through our newsletter as well as our contact information. Uh, I, I love helping people out. I love giving them a different perspective on their characters. I'm sure Ed's the same way as well as me. You know, this is what the, this podcast is about. Um, mm-hmm. Give us an opportunity to help you, in a sense. You know, we don't know everything, as we stated before. You know, we're on this journey as well. And, you know, we're we're on this ride. And I really, 
you know, look forward as upcoming episodes are coming and we get to dive deeper into creativity. And we're going to talk on so many different um, subjects. And, you know, the next week we're going to be talking about story development. I'm sure that's going to be like a six hour session between me and Ed and our different <laughs> viewpoints on story development. But you know what? It's all it's all fun. And that that is the premise of this. It's fun and it's be, be able to give back to people and be able to help you guys out. So on that note, um, Ed, why don't you tell uh, everybody where they can find our podcast as well as Arclight Comics? I'm so proud. I, <laughs> Brent, they can find us at arclightcomics.com slash podcast. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of our usernames are the same. It's at Arclight Comics. And our email, like Brent said, if you want to find out anything more, if you have any additional questions, comments, concerns, need help on anything, please email us at support at arclightcomics.com. And Brent, where can people find Lighthouse Comic Studio? So Lighthouse Comic Studio, you can find us on Facebook at Lighthouse Comic Studio, as well as Instagram at Lighthouse Comic Studio. Again, as mentioned, I'm still working on the process of trying to get a Twitter account. Ed's still trying to slowly convince me in that. We'll see how that goes. We'll as see. Ed mentioned before, you can reach us out in the email. Make sure to give us some likes and some comments on iTunes. Uh, we would love to start uh, reading some iTunes reviews with hopefully uh, episode four and five and six. Uh, also, comments and emails as well. If you guys are more than willing to uh, submit questions for us, maybe we can... Uh, have a portion of our section where we can just answer questions. And, you know, like as I said, this is uh, your guys' podcast. This is what you guys are looking forward to as well as what you guys want to see from us. So for me from uh, Lighthouse Comics Studio and my team, we wish you guys have a good day or good night, wherever the time zone that you are. It's been a pleasure on my part. My name is Brent again, and I'm signing out. And my awesome friend indeed, Mr. Ed Williams, sign out, my friend. Signing out, guys. Keep believing, keep dreaming, keep creating, and do not give up. Nice. So polite. Have a good night, everybody. (laughs) Bye, y'all.